son was just a little guy, about six or seven years old, uh, he began to add a new request to his normal evening prayer retreat, uh, routine. Uh, one night, without any warning, Seth began to pray for a power wheel. He would say his normal prayers, his normal routine, and then at the very end, he would just tack on, and Jesus, please give me a power wheel. Well, the first time he did this, I had no idea what a power wheel was. And so I waited a couple nights to see if it was just a passing request. But he ended up praying for the power wheel every night faithfully for at least two weeks. And finally, I thought I better figure out what a power wheel is. And so I asked him the next night before he started praying, Seth, what what's a power wheel? And so Seth told me, well, it's kind of a motorized little car. The back wheels move on their own and it, it drives. It's really cool, Dad. And I thought, OK, great. Well, we've got, you know, a hundred of those little cars in the basement that I step on all of the time. And I thought it's probably just the latest model that he saw on television. So I thought, no big deal. Well, Seth kept praying for a power wheel every single night. And after about two more weeks, I got, you know, a brilliant idea. Being a pastor, I thought, wow, this is great. I could get my son what he wants and at the same time teach him an invaluable lesson about the, the power of persistent prayer. So the next night after dinner, I went up to Seth and I said, Seth, get ready, get in the car. We're going to go to Toys R Us. And he looked at me like, well, why are we going to Toys R Us? I said, just get in the car. Let's go. And so I got him in the car and on the way to Toys R Us, I said, Seth, guess what? We're going to get a power wheel. And I mean, you should have seen him. It was like he launched through the roof. Really, Dad? Really? We're going to get a power? Yeah, we're going to get a power wheel. You know, I felt so good to be able to give my son this request. And I said, you know, you've been praying for it so faithfully. I just think God must want you to have this power wheel. So we got to Toys R Us and I made a beeline, you know, for the Hot Wheels section and started looking at the racks and racks of these little cars. And Seth was kind of standing behind me, not saying a lot. And I said, Seth, I don't see anything that says power wheel up here. Seth said, Dad, I don't, I don't think it's here. It's probably just a little bigger than those. And I said, oh, okay, well, we kept looking and, and started looking, you know, about 15 more minutes until finally I couldn't find them. And so I asked an, uh, a clerk, hey, could you tell me where the power wheel cars are? He said, oh, yeah, sure, come with me. And he took me over to the bicycle aisle. Well, when I first laid my eyes on the power wheel, I just about passed out. I mean, I had major palpitations because I could very clearly see that I was going to need GMAC financing uh, to get this power wheel. I mean, this was a huge motorized vehicle. It looked like you needed a license to drive it. And Seth said, Dad, that's it. That's the power wheel. And oh, my heart just fell. The cheapest model was about $750. And I looked at Seth, who was just, oh, he just couldn't wait to get in and drive it home, you know. And I had to say, Seth, you know, I, I really made a mistake. I don't think we're going to be able to get the power. Well, <laughs> after all the bid buildup, after all of the prayers being answered, finally, uh, he wasn't going to be able to get his power wheel because I realized coming home in this power wheel, number one, uh, it wouldn't fit in the garage. Number two, my wife would have a cardiac. Number three, it wouldn't be fair to our other children if one of them got a seven hundred and fifty dollar gift just out of, you know, uh, the 
pure air. And so finally I said, Seth, this just would not be good. And it wouldn't be good for the family budget either. Well, I had to live that down for many, many months. And there are times he still reminds me, yeah, Dad, just like the power wheel, you know. (laughs) Well, it wasn't quite as brilliant an idea as I thought it was and didn't really teach the lesson about prayer that I hoped it would. You know, oftentimes, just like my son Seth, we as God's children... I think struggle in the same way in that very often we ask for things from God that he simply is not going to give us. He could give them to us, but he won't give them to us because they are not in our best eternal interest. And though our father just loves us immeasurably and he wants us to enjoy this life and he wants to answer our requests there are some things that we ask for that god simply cannot and will not give us because they are not the best things for us you know the older i've become the more profoundly thankful i've become that god has not answered all of the requests I've made, at least not answered them affirmatively. He's answered them all. Some of them have been the answer no. And sometimes we mistake no for not getting our prayers answered. But I'm so thankful now with retrospect that God hasn't answered all of my prayers. See, oftentimes in the church, I think sometimes we are spending all of our time praying for things that we want, but that God doesn't necessarily want to give us. And he sees our life, he sees this world and our church from an eternal, timeless perspective. He sees the, the end from the beginning. I mean, he knows everything. And so he knows what we need and what's best for us. And so there are times, even as a church, even as the body of Christ, that God does not answer our prayers. Just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who prayed, Father, if it be your will, please remove this cup from me. But ultimately, Jesus prayed, but not my will, but your will be done. And then, unfortunately, there are all kinds of requests that God is yearning to give to us that no one seems to be praying for. No one seems to be requesting. And God is just waiting for us to begin praying some of these prayers so that he can lavish those requests and those gifts upon us. The Apostle James says it this way. He says, you ask or you don't have Because you do not ask and you ask and do not have because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend them on yourselves. Oftentimes our requests are very personal in nature and that's okay. We can pray for anything and everything just like our kids can ask us for anything and everything. But sometimes the answer is going to be no. Well, how can we be assured this morning that the things that we pray for are things that God wants to give us? How can we know for sure what we should be praying for and that if we pray for these things, God desperately wants to answer our prayers as the body of Christ and give us those things? Well, if you turn with me again to Ephesians, and if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screens. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. This morning, we're going to follow up with verses 15 through 23. 
verses 15 through 23, because Paul offers a very powerful prayer for us as the body of Christ, God's church here. And this is a prayer that God longs to answer. Every request in this prayer, God yearns to give every single one of us who are members of his body, who are members of the church of Jesus Christ. The only challenge is that I think too few of us, myself included, are persistently praying for these things day in and day out. But these are requests that will literally revolutionize our lives and the way that we pray. And I want you to follow along as I read chapter one, verses 15 through 23 of this incredibly powerful prayer that Paul prays on behalf of us, the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says and prays. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, in these verses, which are a prayer of the Apostle Paul, he makes three requests for us as the body of Christ, the church, corporately as well as individually. And these are things that God desperately desires to give us as his church. And the first request that Paul makes on our behalf is that we might develop a more intimate relationship with Christ. That we might develop a more intimate relationship with Christ. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. He says, for this reason, or at least verse 15 and yeah, 16 first, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Notice verse 15 starts with the phrase, for this reason. For what reason? Well, remember in verses 1 through 13, he's just told us about who we are in Christ as members of the body of Christ. Remember, Paul told us that we've been chosen by God. We've been redeemed by Christ. We've been predestined to bring glory to God. We've been sealed with the Spirit. Because of who we are in Christ, Paul says... For this reason, because you are the church of Christ, he says, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you or remembering you in my prayers. And now Paul says here, for this reason, I, 
I'm remembering you in my prayers. And then in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. The first request that Paul makes because of who we are in Christ and because we are the church of Christ He prays that we might be able to develop a more intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Now, when he says here, I pray that you might have a spirit of revelation and knowledge. The the word knowledge that he's saying when when he says that you might know Christ is not just a cognitive, intellectual understanding about who Jesus is, that he was a historical man, that he lived, that he died about 33 A.D., and all of that. That's not the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about here. The Greek word knowledge that he's using is really closely related to the Old Testament word of knowledge that's used in Genesis 4.1. It's the word yada. And in Genesis 4.1, that Moses writes and says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. It's a reference to the most intimate kind of personal relationship we can have as human beings. And Paul is praying here that you and I, as members of the church, the body of Christ, might be able to develop that kind of knowledge as it relates to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we might have a personal, experiential, intimate, conversational relationship with Jesus Christ who purchased us and is now the head of the church. You know, that's an amazing thing to me. That we could have that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ and that God desperately wants to give it to us. But as with any relationship, you've got to pursue the relationship. Jesus is a person, the second member of the triune Godhead. He came to earth. He resurrected. He is still in his resurrection body at the right hand of God, the father and and is our advocate who intercedes for us at the right hand of God the Father, and he wants to know us in a personal kind of way. And God wants that for us as well. And yet how persistently are we praying with Paul and asking that God would give us that kind of knowledge of Christ, that kind of personal, experiential, intimate knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, two weeks ago, I had to fly out to Los Angeles to meet with one of our doctoral students and spend some time with him working through some problems he was having on his dissertation. And after the meetings were done, I had quite a bit of time because my flight didn't leave until midnight that night. And so rather than just sit around, I decided to call a friend of mine and and we were going to try to meet for dinner in, in Beverly Hills, which is, you know, very close to the L.A. airport and that kind of thing. Well, my friend ended up not being able to make it for dinner and had to call me and say, you know, I just can't make it. Something's come up. And so here I was literally on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills all by myself. And so I ate dinner by myself, and then I thought I'd just kind of stroll around Rodeo Drive. Well, wouldn't you know it, as I was strolling around, I happened upon George Hamilton. You know, the, the, the movie star, the, the guy who was on Dancing with the Stars last week, and we ended up wandering into the same store. I kind of, I, actually, I kind of stalked him from the restaurant um, 
I, I, someone said George, and I went, whoa, that looks like George. And so I just kind of kept a safe distance and, until he went into the store. And then I went in behind him, and uh, I was at the counter, and he was over here. And, and so finally I just kind of leaned back and said, hey, did you watch the show last night? Because it was the night after the premiere of Dancing with the Stars. And he turned around and said, oh, yeah, I watched it. And we started talking, and I introduced myself to him, called him George. How's it going, George? You know, we just had a... We ended up talking for about 25 minutes about Dancing with the Stars, and I'm from the Midwest, and all this kind of stuff. It was just, you know, me and my buddy George there, you know? Now, now let me ask you. You think anyone would be convinced that I have an intimate, personal relationship with George Hamilton? Yeah, me and George, you know. Just call him up, go golfing. I mean... No, I had a chance meeting with George Hamilton, and even though I called him by name and shook his hand and we had a great little chat there, I don't have a personal relationship with George Hamilton. And yet, you know what concerns me? Is I think that's exactly the kind of relationship many Christians often are satisfied with when it comes to Jesus. We met him, we know him by name. We've chatted with him from time to time, usually on the run to someplace really important. When we're desperate and in a fix, we'll call our buddy Jesus, you know, Jesus, I need help. You know, just like John was saying, sometimes we we don't think about him until something goes wrong. And yet we still say we have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but my spouse would not be satisfied with that kind of relationship. I might not have a spouse for very long if that's the kind of relationship I had. You see, the amazing thing for us as followers of Jesus, as members of the church, all of us, and as a church corporately, is God wants us to have this intimate, conversational, personal relationship with Jesus. And Paul prays for us. He prays here. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him, Jesus, better. Man, that's amazing. That is a prayer request that is a not, a can't miss prayer request. You start praying Daily, persistently, that God will enable you to know Jesus better. And if that is truly your heart, I guarantee you this morning, God is going to answer that prayer because he desperately wants you to know Jesus better. And that's just the first request Paul prays. There's a second one. The second request that Paul makes on our behalf is that we might experience a sharpening of our spiritual vision. A sharpening of our spiritual vision. Look again here at verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that another purpose clause there in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prays that we might experience a sharpening of our spiritual vision. The eyes of our heart might be enlightened so that we might more clearly understand and know three specific things. 
The first thing he wants us to know and see more clearly is he wants us to understand the incredible hope to which he has called us. He said that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope to which God has called us? First and foremost, it's the hope of eternal life because we've been forgiven and redeemed and made holy and blameless in Christ. We are covered with the righteousness of Christ. So we have the hope of eternal life. And as we persevere in following God, that hope is secure. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says that there is nothing in the created universe that can snatch us out or away from God's love for us. That's an amazing hope that we have. Another hope that we have as the church, the body of Christ, is we are the hope of the world. Do you realize the reality is the only hope this planet has is the body of Jesus Christ on earth, the church? As long as we're being the church and living out the life of Christ in community, we are the hope of the world. We are the only ones that can bring social and economic and racial justice and peace into this planet with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, as our head. We are the only ones that can really do that in any kind of lasting way. We are the hope of the world. Secondly, he says that he wants us to understand and see in a new light the riches of our inheritance in Christ. Remember, in verse three, Paul said that that all of the blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus are ours. Again, understanding and having our eyes of our heart opened So that we might understand that we are forgiven and holy and blameless and have this eternal future and hope that I mean, that's got to change the way that we live. That we are loved by God with an immeasurable love. I mean, you can't get any wealthier than that. I have a personal friend who was my roommate in college, a good friend from high school. We roomed together. My friend ended up creating the board game Pictionary um, and and then sold it for a gazillion dollars. And now he is an absolutely filthy rich guy that lives about two houses away from Bill Gates on Lake Washington in the Seattle area. And my friend Robbie is one of the most miserable, unhappy, dissatisfied people I have ever met in my life. The last time I was at lunch with him, he just told me that he had left his wife and their two small children because, you know, he just wasn't happy with her anymore. Beautiful young woman, beautiful kids, beautiful home, everything you could ever want. But you see, Robbie is impoverished in his spirit and his soul. And what he needs is he needs the riches that we have. He needs to know that he can be forgiven, that he can be redeemed, that he can have an eternal hope. You see, oftentimes I think in our culture we get so persuaded that physical riches and monetary riches are somehow going to bring a sense of peace and a sense of hope and satisfaction and fulfillment. But it is an empty hope that the world offers. 
And oftentimes we strive all of our lives and we get to that age where we've got everything, the car, the boat, the summer cottage. We've got everything. We've got a nice retirement. And then all of a sudden we slow down long enough to go, that's it. This is really it. And we're still striving and still dissatisfied when God the whole time is saying you are rich beyond belief. I wish you would just open the eyes of your heart. And recognize the wealth that is yours in Christ. The only wealth that can satisfy. The only bread you can eat that you won't hunger again. He wants us to understand the riches that are ours in Christ. Christ, excuse me. And then thirdly, and this to me is mind-boggling. He wants us to understand. Look again at these verses. He wants us to understand the incomplete. Uh, incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants us to understand the power that is ours in Christ. In fact, uh, Paul uses superlative upon superlative trying to convince us of the power that is ours in Christ. In fact, look at the first part or continue on there. He says that the power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I mean, the power of God that is available to be unleashed in our church, in our lives, is incomprehensible. In fact, that word incomparable in the Greek literally means surpassing. It means to cast beyond. God's power is in a realm that is absolutely unknown to us as human beings. It doesn't mean when he raised Christ from the dead that he was exerting his power. You know, I hope I can do it. I hope I can get him up. That's not the kind of exertion. It was the it's the kind of power that is just so surpassing that God just spoke. And legions of demons could not keep Jesus in the grave. Because of his surpassing, it's power in a different paradigm. And Paul is praying that you and I, Wyzetta Free Church, would know that incomparable power in our lives to do the work that he has called us to do. Now, if he has called us to do the work of advancing his kingdom in this community, I think he wants to give us the power to do it. In an amazing way. And yet, how often are we persistently praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would understand the power that is ours in Christ and see that unleashed in our lives, in our church? But it's all about praying that God would open the eyes of our heart. That that word heart, as many of us know, is a reference to the seat of our emotions, our, our inner spiritual person. In fact, Dallas Willard refers to it as our soul. It's the essence of who we are as human beings. And we need to pray that God's, the spirit, the light of God's spirit would illumine. Just like the sun illuminates the darkness so that we can see the majesty and the beauty. You know, last January I was on my way to Douala, Cameroon to teach at a seminary there and 
made a pit stop, had to fly through Nairobi, Kenya. And I was really excited about that leg of the trip because I've always wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't know if, you know, if it's because I read the snows of Kilimanjaro a long time ago and was mesmerized by Hemingway's depiction of that legendary mountain, but I've always wanted to climb that mountain. And so I was excited at least to get a glimpse from an airplane of, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro. Unfortunately, as we were flying into Nairobi and when the pilot said, now out on the right side of the aircraft is Mount Kilimanjaro. And you could see it if it wasn't pitch dark outside. I mean, I was so disappointed that we happened to be flying in in the pitch darkness and I couldn't see one of the most spectacular sights really on the planet to see Mount Kilimanjaro right there. And it was really frustrating to know it's right there. And I can't see it. And the more I tried to look out the window and get a kind of shadowy image of the mountain, all I saw was my ugly mug kind of reflecting back at me in the, you know, the plain window. You know, I think sometimes that's how we travel the Christian journey. It's like there's all this spectacular scenery that God has for us. All of these incredible blessings and riches and power and hope. And yet we're just flying through the night of the Christian journey so busy doing all of these mundane things that we never pray, never slow down long enough for God to illumine the eyes of our hearts so that we can truly begin to understand the hope and the riches and the power that are ours is Jesus Christ. That's why the churches can be such a powerful influence in the world because of all that God has given us in Christ. But finally, there's a third request that Paul makes on our behalf, and that is that we might understand the supremacy of Christ, that, that we might have a more intimate relationship with him, that we might have a sharpening of our spiritual vision so that we can see all that God has done for us and all that he's given us. But thirdly, that we might understand the supremacy of Christ. Look again what Paul says here in verses nine, the second half of verse 19 through 23. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, again, Paul cannot even find the language to communicate to us the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I mean, notice again all of the universal language that Paul uses here trying to communicate the greatness of Jesus Christ. He says, far above all rule. He says, far above all authority, power, and dominion, and every name that can be invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. There isn't anyone that's going to come on planet Earth who is greater than Jesus Christ. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, Jesus has been given this supremacy by God the Father. Why? For us. 
for the church so that we can be his body on earth and do what he's called us to do. There is absolutely no reason on planet earth why we as Wyzetta Free Church should not be able to turn this community upside down for the cause of Christ. Why isn't it happening? Why aren't all of our churches just turning the world upside down for Christ? Sometimes I think it's because we've forgotten the supremacy of Christ, who he is, what he rules. Jesus Christ is the the instrument of creation. In fact, look at Colossians. If you have a Bible, Colossians chapter one, or just better yet, listen to what I read here about his supremacy. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. Again, he is supreme and he is the head of this church, not figuratively, not just in a title. Jesus Christ himself is the leader of this church. It's not the elder board. It's not a past senior pastor or a future senior pastor, certainly not an interim pastor. It's not the evangelical free church. It's not the president of some denomination somewhere. Very, you know, literally, Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And he has supremacy over everything. In fact, it says that by the word of his power, he literally sustains the planets in their orbit. By the word of his power, every single atom that you're sitting on is held together by Jesus Christ. And he is our leader. He is our head. He is the one that said, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And yet sometimes I wonder why in two thirds of all evangelical churches in America, they are plateaued or dying. Isn't that a paradox? It is difficult to get your arms wrapped around. I think we need to start praying a little differently. I think as a body of Jesus, we all need to collectively join our hearts and start praying persistently like Paul is praying for us. That we might develop a more intimate relationship with Jesus, that we might have the eyes of our spiritual hearts open so that we can begin to see all that is ours in Christ and that we might begin to understand the supremacy of. Of him who is our leader and our head personally and corporately. You know, on several occasions, I've had the opportunity and the incredible privilege of going to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. Because in our church in Sioux Falls, I had a good friend and a hunting buddy who uh, was a, is a United States senator, John Thune. And so because we went kind of to the same school and we have a lot of kind of mutual contacts, we became very close friends. And he would take me back to Washington, D.C. for the National Prayer Breakfast. 
And, you know, it's really quite an experience to go walking through all of the Senate chambers. One time that I went, uh, we went to visit the Speaker of the House, but he wasn't there. And so John said, hey, you want to get your picture in the Speaker's desk? You know, he said, put your feet up on the desk, you know. So I put my feet up on the desk, you know, and big sign Speaker of the House, you know. And we just kind of lounged around in the Speaker's office, you know. Had a great time. Went to the Senate dining room, you know, Ted Kennedy and Trent Lott, all these people. Walking, hey, John, how you doing? You know, of course, they didn't know who I was, but, you know, I didn't care. I felt powerful. I mean, everywhere I went, I could just walk in with John wherever he went. And just they'd open doors. Hi, Mr. You know, Senator Thune. The next day I went to visit John in his just normal office building. I couldn't even get into a normal office building by myself. They looked me up and down. I don't know. Now, who did you want to see again? Had to go through the scanner a couple times. Had to have a Capitol Police officer escort me all the way to John's office in case I might make a breakaway and try to steal something out of the office building, you know. But as long as I was with John and kind of under his position and authority and power, I could go anywhere, do anything, eat in the Senate, you know, cafeteria, whatever. Sit in the speaker's chair without John nobody you know who are you you know it's the same way for us as believers and as the church as we're with jesus as we're walking with him as we're praying that he would do his work in us there is absolutely nothing that is impossible to us in fact jesus said i will build my church and what the gates of hell can't prevail against us Because of his power and his authority and his supremacy and his position. And it's all at our disposal. But it's not for our personal benefit or so that we can buy a Ferrari or so that we can make our portfolio bigger. It's so that we might advance the kingdom of God into every single little nook and cranny of Plymouth and Wyzetta and beyond. And if we're serious about it. God wants to do it. He wants to do it, obviously, worse than we do. So let me just share three action steps with you this morning. The first one is this. I want to challenge us as a church to begin praying. During this interim, we want to find a new senior pastor that God is going to use to lead us and to to equip us so that we can be the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to challenge us to start praying this prayer. And I'm bold enough right now in Christ to say, listen, let's start actually measuring the things that begin to happen as we as a church begin corporately praying that God would individually and as a collective body help us develop a more intimate personal relationship with him. And begin praying, secondly, that God would begin to enlighten the eyes of our collective hearts and our individual hearts so that we might begin to understand in a fresh new way the hope, the riches, and the power that are ours in Christ. And thirdly, begin to pray that we might begin to understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who is the literal head of this church. Why is that a free church? And that as we begin praying for the right pastor, as we begin praying that he might enable us to advance his kingdom into this community, that we would have the faith to know that it is an unstoppable force, the church, when we are praying 
these powerful prayers. I pray that you would take that seriously and in groups or individually use your little prayer journal that's in the program each week to begin praying this prayer persistently that we might see God answer it and change us for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you boldly this morning because you have told us that we are the body of Christ on earth. You have told us that the very power that you exerted to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is for us. The church that your kingdom might advance unstopped into every corner of the communities that you placed us. But Father, oftentimes we are the ones who shoot ourselves in the feet because we simply don't believe. And sometimes it's not that we don't believe, it's just that we're completely and totally unaware of all the resources that are ours in Christ and the supremacy of the one that we serve. Father, we pray that you would change our hearts. We pray that this interim period might be one of the most powerful periods of time Wyzetta Free Church has ever known. And that in your sovereignty, you would bring to us the shepherd, the servant leader, the fellow follower of Christ who would also join with us. in this incredible journey that you placed us on. We want to trust you for this. We know that these are requests that you want to give us. You want to answer them. Father, make us serious about requesting them, we pray in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.